All right, let's have a word of prayer as we get going. Oh, Lord God, you are the one who made us. You are the one who saves us. You are the one who walks alongside of us. You are the one whom we meet everywhere if we will but look for you and welcome you and receive you. You are the one sometimes who breaks into our world to get our attention, to remind us that you are there, to remind us of who you are and who we are, and to welcome us into blessed life with you and with each other. We remember these things about you because they have been taught to us from generation to generation. We seek to experience them in our own lives so that we might not only be blessed, but that we might share this news with the generations that come after. So help us today to learn from you and about you. Help us to learn in the words that we hear from each other. Help us to learn in such a way that we will live in the way that you would have us live as we seek to bless the world that you love so much. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is a very interesting conversation that we need to have today because, of course, we have come to one of those places in the scriptures that everybody thinks they know and many people do know. It's one of those places in Scripture where people uh, create arguments, uh, sometimes divisions, sometimes political issues. One of those places in Scripture uh, that speak so profoundly to us, uh, which is all wonderful stuff, uh, but also, therefore, one of those places in Scripture where we need to, in a sense, forget what we've already learned and come back and look at things with fresh eyes to learn some more. And then to uh, correct, to strengthen, to support, to magnify, uh, and, and to, uh, to help us uh, then learn what God would have us learn today, uh, the Ten Commandments. Um, we're only looking, in a sense, at one verse today, the seventh verse of chapter 20, uh, and in a sense looking at only one commandment. But I'd like to do more than that, partly because uh, the way that Jerry took you into things last week was absolutely spot-on magnificent. Uh, and, as always, there, there, in a sense, is more to say, and there's some more to add to that conversation. And I think that more that I want to add to the conversation is extremely important for all of us to get deep inside of our souls and make sure that it's lodged there so that we do approach our understanding and then application of the Ten Commandments and all that flows out of it uh, so that we do that in, in the correct way, if you will. Does that make sense to you? Um, the reason I want to do that is because I think that um, the name Ten Commandments uh, sometimes is misleading or can be understood in such a way that is not exactly uh, what the commandments are all about. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. Does that make sense to you? Um, let's start here for just a second, um, and, and, and let me ask you, um, speak very loudly. We don't necessarily need to, to run around with a microphone, and I'll repeat what your answer is, at least what I heard. Um, what are the Ten Commandments? Let's say somebody's never heard 
about the Ten Commandments, and they know that you come to Bible study every week, therefore you have the answers. What are the Ten Commandments? Laws, good. Rules to live by. Go ahead. The most important tenets of our Christian faith, okay. Okay, what else would you say? All right, that's all great stuff. Uh, I do not disagree with anything that has been said. That's all good stuff. Um, I think there's more to say. And, uh, and I know you all, I, I'm, I'm not contradicting anything. I wanted to start with, you know, that, that's where most of us would start, right? The Ten Commandments. These are the things that we're supposed to do, that we're supposed not to do. This is the heart of everything. And, and all of that is true. Um, I just kind of repeated what you said, and that's, that's how I would begin that conversation. It's important, though, that, that we understand the context of the Ten Commandments, that we understand the reason for the Ten Commandments, that we understand where they came from and where they take us to, right? And I know all of us could have more conversation about that, but I want to be sure that we get that in our heads very clearly for this reason. Some people look at the Ten Commandments, and I think we do that too. I certainly do that too and say, okay, if I do this, everything's golden. If I don't do this, everything is toast. And when I hear that word commandment, okay, the English word commandment, um, if I command you to do something, right, there's a sense of, of, of being ordered to do something, right? Well, we train our dogs to follow our commands, right? And the training of, of a dog or of a child or of whatever, uh, it kind of brings up this idea of power, right? There's somebody more powerful. And if we don't follow the commandment, the electric collar zaps, or we don't get the treat, or we're told to go to the corner or whatever, right? You know what I'm talking about, okay? And, and there is an aspect of, of that, I think, in the Ten Commandments. Certainly, if there's anyone who, who, uh, who has the right to command us, it is God. And, and I think sometimes we lose that sense of God. God is the only one who has the right and the power and the ability and the will, uh, and the wisdom to command what we should do. And in that sense, these are ten commandments. Do it this way or else, okay? There is that aspect of it, but like all theological truth, like all of our understanding about God, we're looking at a multifaceted jewel. I sometimes use that image, and that's not unique to me, um, our faith is a multifaceted jewel. If we don't look at all the sides of it, we don't get the beauty and true meaning of it. And so that the idea of commandment can be taken to the place where we say, I better do this and I better not do that or I'm going to fry forever in hell. Okay? Now, that could be the case and there is that aspect, but that's not all there is to it. And that's not the place where God starts the conversation. 
Isn't that interesting? So I want to take us back to a little bit of the, the lead up to where we are uh, at Mount Sinai with the giving of the Ten Commandments. God has heard his people crying out that they are suffering in slavery. God has come to be with his people to take his people away from slavery, to save them. God cares enough about them to save them. God has led them out into a place where he is going to teach them about who he is, about who they are, and about what having life is actually all about. All of this is because God loves the people. God has just recently, in the story, given the people water and food and protected them from the enemy, the Amalekites. God has, in the language of chapter 19, God has been hovering over his people like a mother eagle to protect them, to feed them, to take care of them. Now, all of that conversation, all of that language doesn't take us to the place where God's the big, bad, mean guy up there in heaven and says, you better do it this way or I'll fry you. That's not the image we get because that's not the place where God starts with us. God starts with us by saying, I have called you to be my people. I am your God. Now, remember that God is speaking about a specific people, a particular group of people that he's going to do something special with in order that he can then do that with the rest of the people who exist. God has called the Hebrew people to be in a relationship with him so that as they learn who God is and learn how to live based on who this God is and what reality actually is, then they can be a blessing to everybody else and bring everybody else into this relationship with God. That's the reason Israel exists as a nation, is so that everyone can know God and then know how to act in relationship to this God so that everyone can have a blessed, beautiful, magnificent, wonderful life. Does that make sense to you? That's where the conversation starts. What that means is that God has not chosen Israel because he loves them more than anybody else. He has not chosen Israel because they're better than anybody else. He has not chosen Israel so that they can have a better life than anybody else. He's chosen Israel in order to be the first of what God wants and intends will be many, will be all, living in blessed relationship with him. We need to keep all of that in mind then as we understand and study the Ten Commandments. We also need to understand this, that in the ancient world, as in much of the world, there were laws, there were rules, there were regulations all over the place. All of those, though, were born from out of human life, if you will. All the human law that existed up to that point was law that other human beings had instituted and said, you know, it's a law that you should pay your taxes. Why? So that you can support the king's army and protect us from everybody else and allow the king to live a lavish lifestyle, whatever. 
you should you should not kill other people unless you have a reason to kill other people, right? There are all kinds of laws and rules and regulations, but they were not tied to relationship with God. There are no rules and regulations really that come from that come into pagan society from out of the the pagan beliefs, out of the pagan gods. And so the Ten Commandments, the rules and regulations, if you will, the Ten Commandments are unique in that they start first with a relationship with God, and they come from God. They are God sharing with us, telling us about the way life is meant to be. The Ten Commandments are based first on a relationship of love, okay? Not as most, most people construe laws as being, well, I'm supposed to do this, and I'm supposed to not do that uh, so that everything goes along well or everything goes according to the way the boss wants it to happen, right? The way those in power want it to happen. And it's about a relationship of power. It's about a relationship of, of one imposing will upon another. In the Christian conception, the, Jew, the Jewish conception as well, here it's appropriate to say the, the Judeo-Christian tradition, the business of the Ten Commandments starts first with the relationship. And so we need to understand that, right? This relationship is told about in a story. This is the first time, uh, and there are a few other places where we, we have God already saying, you should do this and not do that. But this is the first time we have it all put together in one place in such a forceful way. Most of the rest of the Bible so far has been about a story. God comes to, to people, God creates everything, comes to Abraham, says, I'm going to take care of you, and this is the story as it plays itself out. It's not rules and regulations, right? Which is also an interesting concept. If you ask people, what is religion about? Oftentimes people will say religion is about doing this and not doing that. We go immediately to the rules and regulations of religion, right? If you ask people, what is your faith about? They will say, my faith teaches that I'm not supposed to play cards. I'm not supposed to dance. I'm not supposed to drink. I'm not supposed to do X, Y, and Z on Sunday. That's what my religion is about, right? There's, that's where a lot of us go. But that's not where Christian faith begins. That's not where Jewish, Jewish faith begins. It begins with a relationship first, a relationship with a loving God. And then, because God loves us, God begins to teach us how it is that we can have a successful relationship with God and therefore then also with each other. Does that make sense? So the Ten Commandments are a gift to us. They're an expression of God's grace to us. They're not meant to confine us to do life in a way that's no fun anymore. They're actually meant to tell us how life can be the most fun and the most successful. Does that make sense to you? We always have to begin there. And anytime we start moving into a place where we treat the commandments of God as something that we have to follow or else God will hate us or we'll be, be, be condemned forever. If we start there, we're in, we're in serious trouble in understanding what the commandments are about. So the, the, the 10 commandments, all of God's commandments, begin with God's love. They begin with the fact that God wants a relationship with us. 
And God knows that unless we have a relationship with him, that we're not going to have the beautiful and blessed life that he wants us to have. And the Ten Commandments begin to tell us about how we're going to have that successful relationship. Okay? So let's talk about what that relationship actually looks like. The first commandment and the second commandment, things you were meant to look at last week, and you did in many ways, but I want to talk about them again. The first four commandments tell us about our relationship with God, okay? And that's important. We, either, we have to get it straight with God or nothing else is straight. Nothing else is right. What does God say in the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. You shall have no other gods. The relationship that God wants us to have with him is an exclusive relationship. Now that term exclusion is often used in negative ways today when we talk about excluding other people from X or Y or Z. I understand that. But this exclusive relationship we have with God is, according to God, the only way that we can have a successful relationship with God. When we allow other gods to intrude upon or to be involved in our relationship with the one God, with this God, then our relationship with that God is watered down. It is polluted. It is destroyed. It's weakened. It is misguided. It's derailed. And so the first commandment in some ways is, is the most important because it focuses everything about us on God. Remember that this commandment is given in the context where most people, including still probably most of the Hebrew people, if not all of them, believed in many gods, right? Multiple gods. And so when God says you shall have no other gods, we can read that in, in a couple of ways. One of the ways we can read it is God says, I'm your God, there are other gods, but don't follow them. Don't pay attention to them. Don't give your worship and allegiance and obedience to them, right? That's one way we can look at that. Is God admitting then that there are other gods? Well, in that time period when people believed in other gods, God would have to start there. Ultimately, we came to believe that there are no other gods, actually. There's what? One God. That's what we who believe in monotheism believe, right? Jews, Christians, Muslims all believe that there is one God. There are still many peoples in the world today who believe in multiple gods. There are pantheists in the world all over the place. But we are monotheists, and more so than monotheists in some sense, we believe that, that our God, the God that we know, is not only the only God, but that there is the possibility that we would worship false gods. And that's where we move into the second commandment, right? You shall make no graven images. You shall make no images of me. The first and second commandment uh, teach us that if there are many gods, there's really one God above all those gods. We've learned that there are not many gods. There's only one God. We also learned that we tend to create God in the way that we want God to be, but God is the only one who gets to say who he actually is. 
Does that make sense to you? I know that in the second commandment, when you talk about images of God, in that, in that context uh, of the original gift of the Ten Commandments, uh, of course, people would uh, paint pictures. They would create statues. They would come up with all sorts of different ways of describing and explaining who God is or the gods, right? Idols in particular. Now, you and I are, are the result of thousands of years of history of theological and psychological and philosophical development in our thought, and, and I don't meet many Christians today uh, who would say uh, that, that, an, that an idol, a, a, a doll, <laughs> a statue uh, of some fantastical kind of creature actually represents God, and we say, well, of course you can't worship idols. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, is there a way in which we can still worship idols today? Right? Images of God. Of course there is. And I would actually want to tie the ancient worship of idols, right, with the modern worship of idols in this way. Ancient gods, ancient gods, the many gods always represented in some way, shape, or form things that human beings were interested in, things that human beings tended to believe were more powerful than they were, things that human beings wanted, things that we thought we needed, right? The ancient gods represented power. They represented material success. They represented the, the satisfaction of our human appetites, they represented uh, a desire for everything to go well in the world. Lots of ancient pagan religion uh, was about fertility. We need to have crops. We need to have baby sheep born and baby cows and baby pigs. We need to have baby humans born. There are all kinds of things that ancient pagan religion and modern pagan religion is involved with trying to to organize and control and orchestrate and get us involved with all the things that we want to have in life that we think are going to give us life. Now, the modern Christian default way of talking about modern idols just is to say that some people worship, give me some answers there, what do we worship today? Money, power, fame, land, what else do we worship? Other people. Other people. Say it again. Telephones. Telephones. <laughs> yes, by the way, I need to check and see. Okay, there we are. <laughs> we worship ourselves. There are all kinds of things that we spend our time with, spend our money on, spend our thought about, spend the energies and resources of our lives trying to attain, right? In a sense, that's what all worship is about. The focus of our lives, the things that are the most important to us. Now, every good Christian will say, well, of course you shouldn't worship money as they, as they worship money. <laughs> of course you shouldn't worship success as they do everything they can to be successful. Of course you shouldn't worship another person as they vote for the person who says, I'm God, I'll take care of you. Okay? There are all kinds of ways in which you and I worship other things other than God. Let's just admit it. Okay? We have to admit it first before we can do something about it. And so this business of worshiping only one God 
having only one God, being in a relationship with only one God, and getting away from worshiping all the other gods is as modern an issue and as important a question today as it ever has been. And maybe it's even a little bit more important because uh, back in the days of pagan religion and, and, and pagan faith, um, I, I would have to think that somebody would look at that little statue and think about that little about the God that that statue represented and maybe even the God itself that was in that statue and say, you know, my Uncle Fred made that. I watched him make it. Really, can that be God? That'd be a little bit easier to say, no, that's not God. But when we start talking about money, fame, success, the fulfillment of all of our appetites, right? That's a little bit more diffuse, a little bit more closer to the heart, right? I, I don't know about you, but I like money. Um, I like power. I like success. I like, to ha I like to have my appetites fulfilled in every which way possible. Ice cream is one of them, okay? <laughs> Whatever it is, right? Uh, so in a sense, the challenge maybe is greater for us today. I don't know. I don't know. So then um, there's another issue with the, with the business of, of worshiping images of God, and that is that, um, that when we worship something that is a, a mere idol or a mere image of God, it's not worshiping God himself, okay? And that ties us, that relates us then to the third commandment, which is actually the one we're going to look at today, but I think it's important to look at them all together, right? Verse 7, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name, okay? Uh, older, older translation of that is what? You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, okay? Um, now, I don't know about for you, but for me, the way that commandment was always translated was that you should not swear. You should not say certain things like, God damn it. Oh my, I, I just said it. <laughs> it's important to say some of those things sometimes, right? Is that what this commandment is about? Well, yes. And much, much more. Much, much more. Let's go back to the meaning of the word, the name of God, right? When I ask you your name, you're going to give me a name. You're going to tell me Patricia, right? Or you're going to tell me Ruth, or you're going to tell me whatever your name is. And we understand a name as a word or a sound that identifies who you are, right? These days, people use all kinds of different names, right? You can name somebody blanket or river or star, right? Uh, you, can, you can name somebody butch or berry, whatever. And, and for us, it's just a way of identifying, saying that's this thing, okay? But in the ancient world, a name was so much more. And in today's world, it can be that, right? How many of you are named after someone. Anybody here given your name because it was a family name, right? Okay. I would suspect that the family name you've been given is of a family member who was respected and loved and appreciated in your family, right? 
Um, are any of you named after a family member who was a horse thief and a murderer? <laughs> Will any of you admit that you had horse thieves and murderers in your family, right? Okay, that's getting closer to what we mean by the name of God here. Names mean something. That's not just a way of calling upon something and identifying something, but actually that word identification is important, right? What is your identity? Who are you, right? Um, Helen and I named our children. That's more complicated, but let's just leave it simple at that point in time. And after our children grew up, we realized we should have given them different names. Okay? I hope none of them listen to this day. <laughs> Right. <laughs> we, uh, as, as an example, and we've had this conversation with our children, uh, our, our middle daughter uh, we named Heather Lee, and our baby daughter we named Rebecca Ruth, okay? We used Ruth because Ruth is my mother's name, okay? But in fact, my daughter Heather is more like my mother Ruth than our daughter Rebecca, Okay, Rebecca should have been named Lucy after Helen's sister, Lucy. Okay, <laughs> and all of this is because Heather is so much like my mother. Okay, and Rebecca is so much like her aunt. Right, you see what I'm getting at. Okay, when we're talking about the name of God, we're talking not just about the word that we use to call upon God, we're talking about who God is and what God is. So can any of you tell me who God is? You're a little bit afraid to do that, as you should be, right? Who is God, right? Yes, yes, that's great. Uh, you heard that here, okay? I hope you heard that here, <laughs> and I hope you heard that other places, yeah. When Moses, when Moses asks God, right? Moses is up on the mountain. God appears. Moses says, who are you? right? God says, I am who I am. The word is Yahweh. <sighs> breath. I am breath. Yahweh. Okay. We say Yahweh. I, that, that's, a really, that's a really American. Who is it? Oh, this old Yahweh over here. <laughs> <Right>? No. no. <laughs> Yahweh. God is breath. It's unpronounceable. The ancient Hebrew people, even modern Jews will not say the name of God because we can't say it. We don't know what we mean when we're saying God's name. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am who I always have been. I, went, I am everything. I, how do we describe that, right? So using the name of God is really, really tricky, dangerous business, and we'd better understand that. That's partly why the business of, of taking the name of the Lord in vain is so huge, because we don't even know what the name is. We don't know what the name means. Now, as soon as I said that, I don't mean to say that we don't know anything about God. We know a lot about who God actually is. But what we know is what God has chosen to reveal to us. Right? God has revealed himself to us as the God who creates, the God who redeems, the God who saves, the God who loves, the God who forgives, the God who loves us enough 
to chastise us, to correct us, to steer us and direct us in the right directions. Okay? Now let's remember that every single thing we say about God is conditioned by the fact that we're not God and God is God, and the difference between us is larger than we can even imagine. The only way we can talk about God is by using categories that we understand, categories of this world, language of this world, the ability of the human mind to understand. And the human mind is finite and limited. Only God is infinite and unlimited. Even the concept of infinity and unlimitedness is something that we don't totally understand. And so we're always very, very careful when we talk about God. But that does not mean that we should be afraid to say what we believe God has revealed to us, that he's a God of love, that he's a God of justice, that he's a God who demands and commands our obedience to the way he made us to live, all for the sake of our living successfully in and of ourselves and with each other. There are lots of things we can say about God but we'd better be careful in thinking that we know everything about God. Taking the name of the Lord in vain, therefore, is invoking God, speaking for God, using even the words that, that we use to describe God in ways that are not about God. Okay? And so let's go back to that phrase, God damn it. Okay? Who are you to say who God is actually going to condemn? We don't get to do that, okay? So right there, we've, we've taken a huge leap into territory where we should not go. We have condemned something by saying that God should condemn it. Are you in a position to judge? No, we're not, okay? We don't not say that just because it's impolite just because it's not what educated people do, just it's not because what a preacher should say at a Bible study on a Wednesday morning. It's so much more than that. And the only reason I say it is to help us understand what it is and what it is not, okay? But then, of course, it goes far, far, far beyond that. How many times do you hear the word God in a given day? Do you have any clue? I don't, but I know I hear it all the time, okay? I hear it when a receiver for uh, the San Francisco 49ers catches a ball that's bounced off the helmet of a Detroit Lion, and that turns the tide of the game, and the 49ers beat the Lions. When that pass is caught, and the people around me all say, oh my God, did you see that? They were not talking to God. They were not talking about God. They weren't even thinking about God. But they used the name of God. Right? I know I've railed on OMG here. Uh, I think it's so symptomatic <laughs> of, of, of who we are. Okay, that's another place. How about when we hear someone say, I think this is what God would have us do. God says do this or don't do that or I'm the one who has been anointed by God to lead us into the holy land and 
Here's how we're going to do it. You're going to vote for me. You're going to follow this political agenda. You're going to do whatever, right? How, how many times do we hear God invoked as a way of supporting what we want? We're in very dangerous territory there. Very dangerous territory. So that's what the business of taking the name of the Lord in vain is all about. Let me stop there. Let's hear your thoughts, your comments, your questions. There's a lot to learn from all of that. Yes. Do we have the mic anywhere? There we go. Okay. Run, Terry, run. Over. <laughs> when I am in a state of anxiety, uh -huh. um, I find that the best thing I can do is to think of Psalm 4610, mm -hmm. which says, be still and know that I am God. Mm -hmm. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. Mm -hmm. It calms me. Mm -hmm. It revives me. And no one escapes anxiety, trouble, whatever. But because we have God, we can have peace. Yes, yes. The one true God. Know that I am God. No one else is God. And learn who this God actually is. And be careful when you think you know who God is. Always check yourself. And always allow yourself to be checked by others. That's why we sit here and have this conversation is we're meant to correct each other and steer each other because it's so easy to become an idolater. It's so easy to worship ourselves or someone else or some ideology or some particular summary and phrase of Christian faith or the meaning of life or anything else. We always bring it back to the word of God. We say that it is of God. Okay, another thought, yes. As you were talking about making the love connection as being the major thing. Yes. I kept thinking, once you have that connection with God, it's easy to look at things like the Ten Commandments, not as commandments, but as suggestions. Mm -hmm. All of these things are suggestions for a better life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And once you have the love and the commitment with God, these suggestions are very easy to incorporate into your life. Sure, sure, absolutely. So I, I, I just don't, I don't think I've ever thought of them as commandments that you must do these things. And now I think of them as suggestions. And it, it makes you feel so different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that word... So much of our conversation is about the way we use language because it shapes what, what our understanding of reality is. Um, the word suggestions is often used and it does soften that, that hard judgmental side of, of the word commandments, okay? I agree with that completely. And I also think that in a sense there is no single word that's going to, to completely capture the meaning of what the commandments are uh, the issue with the word suggestions is that when we say, I suggest you have the, the liver and onions instead of, of the steak, okay? It's kind of optional, right? Take either one. 
you know, I like this one better, or maybe that one's better prepared at the restaurant. I had liver and onions the other night, by the way. I know, it's, it's, I transgressed a commandment, but too bad, I loved it. Uh, right? When we say suggest, that, that, that can also mean it's sort of optional, okay? We don't want to go there in that either, right? Uh, the business of you shall not murder is not optional, you know? It's like, well, I decided it was okay to murder today. No. Or I decided to get today, you know, it was suggested that I follow this God, but I decided not to. Okay. I, and I know you're not saying that, right? You're giving us another word that helps us understand, the, uh, in a sense, the loving side of things. I, I like to think of this in terms of God's, the word commandments is a good word in this sense, that these are not optional things. It, it, it only works or it works the best this way, right? Stealing from each other, okay? Um, I, human society works best when we do not steal from each other. It's pretty black and white in that sense, right? Uh, do we sometimes steal from each other? Yes. Uh, does it destroy human society? A little bit, not completely. So, so we, we have to keep all of those facets in mind there. Yes, another, was there another hand up? Yeah, over here. Good. Yeah, it's a rule of the women's Bible study that there's a question asked on this side of the room and then all the way on the other side of the room back and forth, right? We're keeping Terry skinny. There we go. <laughs> um, I don't mean to be clever when I do this. I really mean it when I do do it, but if somebody is in a bad spot and they yell out, oh, Jesus Christ in a bad way, yeah. I'll say, well, he loves you very much. And yeah. I don't know if how they take it. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to be clever. I just don't like the fact that they used my Lord's name in vain, and it bugs me, so I try and flip it. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. I, I think that's okay. Obviously, you're, the spirit in which you do that and the relationship, that's all of that stuff is important, but it, it's a... At some point, we, uh, you know, we need to stand up and say that, uh, do, do people really know what they're saying? And, and of course, you know, we say, well, you know, when a person says, oh my God this and oh my God that that, 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 that's just empty words. But there is no such thing as empty words. Right? Yeah. Yes? I was just going to make this easy on Terry right here. Um, I, I, I don't want to be argumentative, but I have to say that the word suggestion. I was actually going to make a joke about that and say <laughs> that, no, really, that the Ten Suggestions would not have gotten my attention at all. Uh -huh. The Ten Commandments, I kind of listen or prick my ears up, but suggestions yeah. kind of like, eh, whatever. My yeah. parents never suggested things that were important. They kind of <laughs> Sure, well, sure, yeah. I suggest yeah. you be home at 11, yeah. no. <laughs> well, well, you know, that, that, that's an interesting thing. Culturally, uh, the way we use language is interesting. I know in the South, especially, um, if someone who's been raised in the South says to you, well, you might want to do this, or I suggest you think about that. What they're actually saying to you is, you'd better do this, right? They're being kinder and gentler with that, which is where we're trying to go with the word suggestion. And yet when it comes from God, if God suggests something, Aren't you going to pay attention? If God says, eat the steak and not the liver, I think God, you know, I'm going to listen to God. I'm not going to listen to everybody else around the table who says you should never eat liver. Uh, but anyhow, I don't know why I picked on steak and liver. There we go. Yes. Two things. 
one thing, instead of suggestions, I look at it as instructions. Okay, when yes. When you get up, you bring home a, something you have to put together, mm -hmm. you open up, and here are the instructions. Mm -hmm. This tells you how things get put together. Mm -hmm. These commandments are God's way of telling us how he's putting us together, how we are to behave, how to worship, how to relate to each other. That's one thing. The other thing that came to my mind as you were talking when you talked about the name of God, we humans name each other, it puts us in a, a box. Mm -hmm. We can't do that with God. He does right. not fit in a box. So yes. he doesn't have a name. Yes. Heavenly Father is the closest that we can come to giving him a name. Yeah. There is no name for God because he cannot be put in a box. Yeah. He's everywhere. He's everything. Yes. He's all things. Yes. And we are, will turn to dust. Yeah, I, I, I like both of those things. Instructions, yes. You use something the way it was meant to be used, it works. If you use it the way it was not meant to be used, it doesn't work. Well, do you want life to work or not work? There's only, there, there's one option, two options there. Either it works or it doesn't work, right? Uh, that's, that's, that's hugely important in our, in our understanding. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Okay, uh, we sh yeah, one more. Okay, good. When you had mentioned um, about people saying, you know, God told me to do this, or, you know, God wants you to do this because he told me, mm -hmm. my thought ran to Hitler, mm -hmm. how Hitler, you know, assumed this power and authority with his people, and he had good people doing bad things. Mm -hmm. And that was, I mean, I, I, it's scary to me to think of how people can be, uh, they can idolize someone yes. as Hitler. Yes, and it do is scary. Evil things. Yeah, it is scary. And of course, I, in the context of the Ten Commandments, the original gift, you have people who have been living under the, the divine authority of the Pharaoh, right? Just a guy. Right? That's it. Just a guy. Where does that take us? Into terrible places. Right? Now, there's lots of conversation to be had about living under the divine authority of the divine. We, we you know, it's, it's not as easy in some ways. It's far easier to say, he's got all the answers. And it's far easier sometimes to say, well, his answers don't make any sense to me, but it's just easier to let him answer all the questions. Right, and to give us all the direction, or her, or it, or they, or whatever it is. Um, we, we are blessed that God has given us the answers, right? Um, he has showed you, oh man, what is good. I memorized ancient language, right? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly? There are so many different ways that's expressed, but yeah, it is. We are always in danger. There's never been a period of human history when we have not been in danger of turning a human being into God, or an ideology, or a theology, or a church, or whatever it is, or even ourselves, right? Absolutely, yes. Uh, um, that was the last one, this is the last, last one. So, to simplify it, in summary, a very wise woman on Sunday at the spiritual life study, a certain pastor's wife, said to us at our table, the greatest of the two commandments is to love God, and to love your neighbor. And Helen Baca said, as, she, mm -hmm. as we all know, the wise woman said, if we follow just those two, 
all the other ones fall into place because you're not going to steal or covet your neighbor's spouse or kill some. You're not going to do any of those others yeah. if you follow the two greatest commandments, which yep. is love. If everything's based on love, all the other commandments will be automatically fulfilled. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Helen must have read that somewhere. <laughs> okay, I'm, we're going to go into a season of prayer for me for about 15 minutes now. <laughs> Thank you, Vicki. Let's pray. God, thank you for being God. Help us to know who you are. Help us to know who we are meant to be. Help us to do what we know you tell us to do. Help us not to do what you tell us not to do. And help us to do it all for our love of you because you love us. In Jesus, amen. God bless you, my children.